I'm excited to speak to you this morning, and this morning's message is called Life's Not Fair. Life's Not Fair. So we continue on in our teaching series, God's Promises. Now, I don't know where we learned this concept from, but we have this concept in our hearts that everything in life is supposed to be fair. In fact, one of the phrases that you learn when you were a kid is, that's not fair. That's not fair. Right? I, uh, whenever I tell my kids, you're going to be punished, they say, that's, that's not fair. You didn't see what they, I'm going to, uh, 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 you will be, I promise you, you will be punished. No, you didn't see what she did to me. You didn't see what he, that's, this is not fair. Maybe you feel like what you're going through right now is not fair. Maybe you've been stuck at home without work, with three kids who need constant entertainment. I don't know, I might be talking from experience. (laughs) Maybe you're tired of seeing or hearing the songs from Frozen 2. You don't want to hear, by the way, if you have Disney Plus, Frozen just came out with a brand new movie yesterday. So you might want to, Once Upon a Snowman, it's called. I have yet to see it, but we'll be enjoying that tonight, I'm sure. I was, I, was, I was listening to, I am a, a news connoisseur. I love watching the news. I was listening to the news. I heard somebody say, I heard somebody say this. I thought it was just funny. He said, somebody said, Americans don't panic. Somebody said that this week. Americans don't panic. And they've repeated it several times. And I thought, are you crazy? Ask the toilet paper aisle if Americans panic. Everybody thought that in order to survive coronavirus, they needed to wipe their rear ends. Like, they needed to have a stockpile of toilet paper. Just ask the Lysol wipes if Americans don't panic. Let me tell you, I remember going into a store the very first first, uh, few weeks that this was all kind of going down. I go into a store, and Crystal says, don't you go into that store without a mask on. At that point, we were being told, no, it's fine. Masks are not necessary, right? So I'm, I'm going into the store with this N9, I'm going to Target with an N95 mask on, and I can remember everybody looking at me like I have five heads. Now it's fashionable. <laughs> it's unfair that you gotta sing while you wash your hands now just to make sure that you take care of all the germs and the bacteria so that you don't get sick. The truth is none of this is fair. And, and our definition of fair is more than likely one of two things. Fair. I get what I deserve. I earned it. My actions warranted it. I worked hard. I got a raise. I got. I earned everything that I have. Even bad things can be fair. If I'm driving 90 miles an hour, I remember this, this one instance, man. <laughs> I decided to stay right up until the end with Crystal and my parents right that, that same weekend that I needed to go to school. And I was in ROTC, Army ROTC in college, and I needed to report early. And I remember being concerned that I would even get to school on time. So my school was nine hours away from my parents. I was in Potsdam, New York. If you don't know where that is, look up Canada. Right? It's, it's right up there. There's literally nothing. It's called the North Country. 
I didn't know that such a place existed in New York. So I'm literally driving up, I'm, I'm headed up, and I think I'm gonna get there late, so I see a bunch of fields. I don't think that there's anybody near me, so I am like, mm, 90 miles an hour through in this like 1998 Ford Explorer, and I'm like driving through, and all of a sudden I, whoop, whoop. <laughs> Cops pull up behind me, I'm like, I am so sorry, I am uh, late uh, for school. And he's like, yeah, um, not a good excuse. <laughs> got a ticket. I got what I deserved. That's fair. The second definition of fair is I get what you get. After all, why should you get something if I don't have it? What makes you better than me? And that approach believes not only that we should all get the same reward, but that we should all get the same punishment. If we each drive at 90 miles an hour, then we should all be punished equally. That means if you didn't get caught, it don't matter. You should get the ticket just like I did. You get grounded, I get grounded. That's fair, I get whatever you get. Either I get what I deserve or I get the same thing as you. That's what makes things fair. But some of our biggest struggles in life come when you are dealt with an unfair set of circumstances. You look at your situation and you say, that's not fair. This isn't right. This shouldn't have happened to me. When someone you love and care about, you invested, you poured your time in, suddenly turns on you, that's not fair. When you're healthy and you work out and take lots of vitamins and you still get cancer, that's not fair. When someone you love dies at a young age, that just shouldn't happen. That's not fair. When you have a disease that there seems to be no cure for and there's nothing that you could do but hope for the best, that's not fair. When you've been faithful to your husband for years and you've served them for years and now you found out that they're cheating on you, that's not fair. And during this season and this time, there's a lot that doesn't seem to be fair, right? I can go and walk around and skirt around Target, Walmart, Home Depot. I can go to Disney World, get on a plane, pull my mask off completely, and likely walk out with a coronavirus diagnosis that won't do anything to me. But if you're 65 and older and do that, you might end up in an ICU on a ventilator. It's not fair that some people kept their jobs while others were laid off. It's not fair that some businesses kept on working and yours didn't. It's not fair that some of you were told that you're not essential. And after being careful and taking all the precautions in the world, maybe you test positive for the coronavirus. And your neighbor who flouts all of the suggestions, guidelines, and rules is still healthy. That's not fair. Maybe you're watching this sermon right now in isolation and you've been in quarantine and you wonder what you did or didn't do to deserve this. I could go on and on. At some time or another, we all face it. Something goes wrong. You didn't deserve it to happen. It makes you mad. It's just not fair. 
been in those moments, man, I've, I've heard, I've sat in my office with several women. And men, but mostly women, throughout the course of my ministry, where they have sat down and told me I made some decisions while I was young, and now it's tied me to someone I don't want to be with anymore. It's not fair that your forever person couldn't be the person that you ended up with for the rest of your life. That's not fair. And oftentimes in those struggles and circumstances, it causes people to be angry with God. And we ask ourselves this question, if God was really a loving God, wouldn't everything be fair? Why would God let this happen? Why didn't he stop this from happening to me somehow? Why me? Why this diagnosis? Come on, God. This is not fair. And as a result, people get filled with resentment, bitterness, and anger. And they decide if life isn't fair, then God isn't fair. Then there are super spiritual people who try to make everything out to be your fault. There must be sin in your life. When people say that, I just think, are you insane? What they're saying, it's fair. You got what you deserve. You earned this. Now, that's not only non-biblical. It's spiritual abuse and Christian malpractice. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Problems are going to happen. The people that blame your problem or sickness on sin... They change their theology when they get sick or they have a problem. If it happens to you, it's sin and it's your fault. If it happens to them, it's the devil's fault now. Some people say, well, if you just have enough faith, God will intervene. The thought being that somehow if you just prayed a magical prayer, if you just happen to say the right words, then everything will just be okay. Those things don't help when life seems unfair. An insensitive cliche is the last thing anybody wants to hear. Well, you say, Pastor, what do you know about life not being fair? Got a wonderful church, a family. It's easy for you to talk about. Man, when I was a kid, I was a misfit. I was extremely heavy. And I didn't fit in. There's so many memories I could tell you. I could call you. I could remember all the names that I was called. I remember being called Chunky Soup. I was so big. My parents used to shop at a store which has since gone defunct. But there used to be a store called Bugle Boy. And in that store, they used to sell clothes for more heavy set kids. So I could remember being in those situations. And I remember the names of the kids who would belittle me. In ninth grade, my parents made the decision to move to Washingtonville, New York. And high school can be a really cruel place. And I could count on my hands when I entered into that school how many other Latino children were in that school. And so the name calling continued on, but this time I was thin. I'd earned my way to the top in New York City. Now I had to start all over again. Now I was belittled because I was a Latino. I remember a math teacher who belittled me in front of the class once, so much so it became such a big deal. We had to have a conference with the, with the principal and the superintendent over everything that happened. I could tell you his name. For my first year in high school, I remember worrying constantly, making myself sick every day when my parents made me go to school. 
I wanted so desperately to fit in and to be accepted. And something began to attach itself to me. A spirit of rejection. The pain of rejection every single day. Did I deserve any of that? No. Was it fair? Absolutely not. It wasn't fair at all. It shouldn't have happened, but it did. Life wasn't fair. You struggle when life and circumstances aren't fair. You carry the concept, we all do, of fair from childhood into being an adult. But here's the truth. It's really not a biblical concept at all. The idea that you can expect everything to be fair. In fact, the message of the gospel, the whole point of the gospel of the Bible is God's plan to reestablish relationship with man was anything but fair. Paul wrote this letter that we call 2 Corinthians to the church in Corinth, and, and he writes this letter to a church where things really aren't going well and where life isn't really going fairly. And so I want to share with you a few thoughts. So we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. Here's what it says. It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles. The verse doesn't say you won't have troubles. I, I wish that I could promise you that. I wish that I could tell you if you commit your life to Jesus, you will never have another disease or problem that ever invades your life. But that is not a biblical statement. You are going to have problems. I'm going to have problems. That's part of living in this world. However, I can make you an awesome promise. You don't ever have to face trouble alone. God will comfort you. He will be with you. He will give you peace. He will give you strength in time times of trouble. See, the deal is when life isn't fair, you're not alone. God is with you. My hope isn't based on the circumstances, the diagnosis. My hope is based in him. He says, he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given. So he comforts us in our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort others. To give them the same comfort that God has given us. Verse 5. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with comfort through Christ. In other words, the more struggles you go through, the more grace and favor on your life, the more God will take comfort and care over your life. Verse 6 says, even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. Can I just tell you something? There's just some things that I've gone through in my life that if you went through it would destroy you. There's certain things that you perhaps have gone through in your life that if I went through, it would wreck me. I'm not ready for that place yet. He, he says, I, I, you're going to suffer so that you can patiently, God will begin to build up within you the ability to receive comfort and to minister to others even though you're going through a difficult moment. 
Verse 7 says, we are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. What basically he's saying, if I could sum this up in a nutshell, is this. When life isn't fair, my trouble prepares me to comfort you. Your troubles prepare you to comfort others. Wait a second, Pastor Tom, that sounds like another cliche. This is supposed to be a passage of encouragement and comfort. That doesn't seem comforting to me. I'm telling you, my feelings of rejection hit its peak when I found an opportunity to minister as a youth pastor. I remember being in New York City. Man, the only thing I ever wanted to do with my life was to be in ministry and to minister. And I could remember being a youth pastor, meeting with kids in the projects and holding Bible studies. And I loved preaching to the adults in the church and teaching discipleship class. Man, I loved it so much. I loved it with a passion. And I can remember one day my pastor going up to me and telling me, I think it's time for you to sit down. Give it a rest. Give it a break. And I sat down for a season. I was good. I was good to submitting to the authority appointed above me. And I thought that this was the best situation in the world. Why I'd grown up with this man who was my pastor. He was my God brother. I knew him for years before he became my pastor. I loved him. I trusted him. I loved his family. I loved his children. And I thought that this was the best place. This wasn't the place to earn a major salary. It wasn't going to be a mega church, but it was a place that was home to me. And then, one day, he would go on attacking me over and over again to my face because there were people there were people telling him that I was going to be that I an 18 year old kid listen to this an 18 year old kid was going to be the pastor of his church an 18 year old kid is going to is going to take over a church for a 30 something year old man then he stopped showing up to church on Sundays at all, on the blue. And a young 18-year-old kid would have to go up and preach on Sundays and go and do Bible studies on Wednesdays and Tuesdays and Fridays. And then I found out exactly why he was taking this trajectory in his life. He was on drugs. He was doing cocaine. He said, Pastor Tom, this is hearsay. No, it's not. We have evidence. There was proof. Listen to this. This lasted with me for years. Last July, for the first time in 10 years, he reached out to me. He goes, God bless you, Pastor Tommy. Can you spare some time to chat with your God brother for a few minutes? I need you to forgive me. Would you have the courage to pray over my life? Please, I am humbly requesting I let my pride get in between you and our love as brothers and Crystal. I always had this feeling that you were going to replace me when I retired as pastor. There's a lot of things we need to talk about, but the first thing is on my part to say I'm deeply sorry without an excuse. Please allow me the time to speak with you and Crystal.
I went through a lot of pain. So much so that I thought the answer to that pain was for me to leave. And so I joined the army. And I left. And then I was a chaplain in the army getting drunk. My life was out of control. Completely out of control. All the time this was a situation. I wanted nothing to do with God. I went into my space in the military and everything was like going through the motions over and over and over again because I was dealing with this rejection and pain. I did not even want to enter into a church. I didn't want to go into a church because church was the place of pain for me. And it became even more so and more specific because my pain, there is a huge cultural difference. There are several different types of churches in this world. There are white churches that exist out there. There are black churches that exist out there. Asian churches that exist out there. And Spanish churches that exist out there. And then there are international churches that exist out there, which is the category that we fall under. People from various races and people groups coming together. Our culture looks a lot different than a traditional Hispanic Latino church. I'll tell you that right now. I grew up in it my whole life. There was so much pain that I didn't want even to walk into another Spanish church ever again. Because I said, this is not only just this pastor, This pastor's attitude and character is a function of the broader dysfunction that exists in this culture of Spanish Pentecostal churches. I carried this rejection and this pain with me. Several years into me becoming a lead pastor, I prayed a very unusual prayer. I said, God, don't ever let me forget how that feels and how I felt. Don't ever let me forget the feelings of pain and rejection. And you say, Pastor Tom, why would you ever pray that? Aren't you supposed to get over all that stuff? Well, give me a second. Let me finish what I prayed. I said, don't let me forget so I'll always be able to minister to hurting people. Help me identify with the rejects and the outcasts, with the unwanted, with people who feel like losers, like they're worthless. Help me to somehow share with them what I so desperately needed in my season of pain. Help me to give them some love, some acceptance, and a little bit of worth that can only come from you. And now I feel that that's a part of my life mission, to share the comfort that I experience with others. One of the criticisms that I often get from people is, you give people too many chances. I do. And now you know why. Because I can minister to them in a way that is unique that some other buttoned up pastor might not be able to. Did God let me experience that so that I could comfort others? That doesn't seem fair, does it? Now, I would never go back and relive any of this for anything. But this is not maybe popular, but it's true. When you learn when life isn't fair, prepares you to comfort, help, and minister to others, are in the same situation, you might not think that's fair. Everybody's response would be predictable. That's not fair. Why should I have to endure something to help somebody else out? What kind of God will allow that? That's not fair at all. And you're right. That's not fair. 
You remember our first definitions of fair? I get what I deserve. It's fair if I get what I deserve. But there's no way I should suffer to help someone out. I don't deserve that. But here's what jumped out at me as I was reading this passage. Suffer so someone can be helped? Wow. Doesn't that sound familiar? That's exactly what Jesus did. He suffered so we could be comforted. And if you think about it, the cross wasn't fair. In fact, it was the most unfair moment of all time. Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless son of God, hung on a cross to pay for sins that he didn't even commit. He suffered for our comfort. He died so that we could have life. That's not fair. Well, then, Pastor Tom, well, what is fair? The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. What do you deserve? What's the price of your sins? Should you have been the one hanging on the cross and not Jesus? See, he prayed the price for your failures. That's not fair. The second definition that we took away from fair is I get what you get. We all get the same punishment. We all get the same reward. If, as a kid, if my brother and I both fought, we, we both got spanked. That's fair. We get the same punishment. But in this case, you did wrong. Jesus did no wrong. You got off free. Jesus died on a cross. That's not fair. I want to break a paradigm in your head right now. Because the concept of fair is vastly overrated. The fact that you can sit in a church right now in comfort with air conditioning and with heat in the middle of the winter speaks to the fact that we live in luxury. But if you go to a foreign nation where they don't have any floors, no air conditioning, and no chairs, it's not fair. In this case, the not fair part has benefited you. For the wages of sin is death. That's what's fair. But that verse continues on. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A gift. Instead of paying the price for your own sins, you get to get a free gift from God. Jesus pays the price. You get the gift. That's not fair. That's called free. Thank God that he isn't fair. Jesus' trouble is our comfort. Now Paul continues on facing this kind of not fair moment. He continues on in verse 8. And he says this. We think you ought to know. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. We were cru- This is for all you folks who think that life is supposed to be easy. That ministry is supposed to be easy and you're never supposed to go through any difficult moments. If there was anybody who was rendered to the fullness of Christ and following Jesus and everything that he did, it was the Apostle Paul. He says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. Verse 9 says this. It says, in fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God. 
Paul says, up until now, I could handle it. But when real trouble comes, when life isn't fair, you need to learn to rely on God instead of yourself. Self-reliance is the opposite of God-dependence. When life isn't fair, it kind of forces us to admit, I can't handle life on my own. I don't have all the answers or solutions. I can't do this. I can't face it on my own. I need help. I need his help. In fact, I'm going to tell you this, right? You ready into this secret? When we go through trouble, it often exposes our insecurities. When we go through trouble, it often exposes our insecurities. And I've heard this wonderful pastor say this several times, and I love this statement. Insecurity is false security. We've placed our hope on things. Why do, you get so, why do we get so nervous when we go through difficult times in our life? Why were all of us a nervous wreck in March as we began to watch the news over and over and over again every day wondering what would happen to our country, what would happen to our family, what would happen to our friends, would we ever be able to see anybody again, was this the end of the world, quote unquote? It exposed a lot of our false security. Some of us thought, well, we, we super depend on God, I'm a super duper Christian. Well, it turns out that some of these issues began to expose the fact that maybe in every area of your life, you don't have full reliance on God. That's why when there's no obvious answers, that's when many people turn to God. In those life's not fair moments, they bring us back to right relationship with God. You learn to rely on his strength, his comfort, his help, his love, and his power for your life. And it's comforting for us to know that God is with us. It's somewhat encouraging to realize that your trouble prepares you to comfort others. You need to learn, we need to learn to rely on God. I love this. There's, there's this, and I want you to say this um, kind of with me here. Right? Because I don't like the term rely on God. It feels very business like we need to learn to set our affections on God set our affections on God I don't have my wife I wish she was here but whenever I get a chance to I will shower her with affection I'll tell her baby I love you so much you're so beautiful you're amazing you're smart that's called affections that's called being affectionate. She is the focus of my affection. Whenever I sit down with my kids, I tell them, as a matter of fact, I went one by one. The other day we were sitting in the back of the car, I had gotten home, I had just gotten home from the hospital, gotten home from work, got in the car, had them meet me in the van, and said, we're gonna leave immediately. As soon as I get home, we coordinated it, got into the van as soon as we get home, and left all the way to go get ice cream. Best ice cream, by the way, in the whole US is in Warwick, New York, in a place called Belleville Creamery. If you've never been there, I invite you to go because they close on October 30th for the season. So we got in the car, we went all the way over there, and one by one, they began to ask me, what do you love about me, Dada? And one by one, I began to tell them, 
this is what I, this is, I love you all the same, but this is what makes you unique and causes me to set my affection on you. This is what I love about your character. This is what makes you unique. This is what makes you different from your sister that I love about you. And I went one by one with each of them, telling them how I set my affections on them. What's beautiful about their character. We need to set our affections on God. Relying on God, setting our affections on God. The thing that really gives us strength when life isn't fair is the knowledge that God will, he will deliver you. Listen to this. But as a result, we stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely on God who raises the dead. Y'all remember just a few verses ago, he was saying, I thought we was going to die. And now he's saying, oh, my, no, I found the God that has the solution to my death problem. And he is the God who raises from the dead. He needed to remind himself of the God that had had favor and performed miracles in the past. Is the same God that would come through right now. And so he continues on in verse 10 and he says, and he did rescue us from mortal danger. And look, I love this part. And he will rescue us again. He will rescue us again. This is the promise that I want you to learn today. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. Coronavirus never stopped the power of God. Do I think we need to act in wisdom? Absolutely. Do I think we need to follow good, solid medical advice? Absolutely. I think we need to act in wisdom. But this thing, some of y'all think, some of you think that this has shut down the power of God. Never, never. The same God that raised people from the dead is active today. The same God who healed the sick is active today. The same God that baptizes in the Holy Spirit is active today. Right now, he's still walking. Nothing can shut down the power of God. He says, what do we do? We placed our confidence in him. What does that mean? I set my affections on him. I set my affections on him. And he will continue to rescue us. I don't put my trust in the stock market or the economy. I've placed my confidence in him and I know he's going to rescue me. When life isn't fair, I'm telling you, do not give up. Do not give in. God is on your side. He's fighting on your corner. You are not in the ring alone. He is in the ring with you. Do not throw in the towel. The same God that rescued you before will rescue you again. He will do it differently this time, but he will do it again. Let me tell you, I found myself in a difficult season. A difficult season. I can remember about two or three years ago, worst time of my life. Worst time. Everything felt like it was collapsed. As a matter of fact, my wife and I just spoke about this last night. Everything felt like it was collapsing on me. Worst year in ministry ever. And I tried to get an opportunity to help my family out because we were really struggling. And I went... And that opportunity never worked out. And I can remember receiving that phone call that that opportunity wasn't going to work out. And I sat in my car 
in front of New York Sports Club here in Butler, and I cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And I went in, I worked out, I went home, and a very kind woman who attends our church, works for um, the Crystal uh, Springs Resorts. She told me, if you ever need to, just, you know, kind of come and, you know, let me know. We'll, we'll set you guys up to come to the pool over here. So it was a summer day. I said, uh, well, it was early summer. I said, okay, no problem. I called her up. She said, yeah, everything's fine, Tom. I'm literally getting dressed, putting my bathing suit on in the bathroom, and my phone rings. It says, hi, how are you? I said, I said, Hi. Uh, I thought it was somebody that attended the church. Sounded like their voice. And said, I just want to tell you that you've come highly recommended to me. I said, really? About what? So I'm the... (laughs) Y'all laughing, you know I'm unqualified. (laughs) About what? Those... We're looking for a chaplain at the jail to be able to minister (laughs) the Spanish folks. (laughs) Unless you were here with me that year, you don't understand why that's ironic. (laughs) I was going to be the federal immigration chaplain. Well, that year, man, I had gone through heck and back. Let's just say that. And I didn't, I didn't know. It would have been easy, man. I was praying. The way I was praying, I was like, Lord, may money fall from heaven. <laughs> may provision come in from heaven. But God had a different idea. God was like, Tom, I need you to work a few more hours, but I'm going to provide nonetheless. It might not come how you think or how you would choose for it to come, but man, God will rescue you Time and time and time and time and time and time again. You see, here's the truth. God proved his power to defeat any enemy that we will ever face when he defeated the ultimate enemy, death, on the cross. See, Jesus paid the unfair price for us on the cross. Unfair, but not final. You see, God rescued him. Three days later, he was delivered from the grave. From the ultimate unfair moment, he rose again, and there was victory. Here's that awesome truth. When life isn't fair, God will rescue you. And here's the thing with us right now. Fair has to do with right now, immediately, what happens to you today. I get what you get. I get what you, what I deserve. You ever heard your mom Say this whenever you kind of got a little stubborn on her. Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. Your mom was right. Life isn't fair. Thank God. God didn't promise you this life would be fair. The cross wasn't fair. God didn't promise you fair, but he did promise you that you can be free in him. Be rescued in him. Just think about this. If life was fair and you got everything that you deserved, 
<laughs> That's right. Uh-uh. Joe, right? You struggled for years in addiction. And God delivered you. But if you had gotten the sentence that everybody else got, you might not have a family today. Or walk or have the same type of ministry that you have today. If life was fair, then you wouldn't be walking in provision and abundance right now. If life was fair, then we would all be spiritually down and out without our Savior to provide for us if life was fair. I just spoke to somebody this week. And I said to them this week, you've walked through a painful road in your life, one that I could never comprehend. Why don't you consider starting a grief ministry in the church? so that your pain can serve as an example because you're ministering so well right now to people who are experiencing pain and loss. You think, I always laugh every time somebody used to go, I'm sorry, I am a respecter of everyone from all faiths, but I always laughed when everyone would go to marriage counseling with a Catholic priest. Because I always used to wonder, what experience are they going to talk to you from? <laughs> how are they going to tell you how to make it through tough times? Now, granted, I think we all have a certain capability to minister, but we can't get into the depths of ministry. If I haven't walked where you've walked before, if I haven't undergone what you've undergone before, the best person to minister to someone who's grieving a loss is somebody who has lost. The best person to minister to someone with rejection is someone who has been rejected. The best person to minister to a drug addict, if I ever have a drug addict in the church that comes in for help and we've had before, guess where I'm sending them? I send them to talk to Job. Or I send them to other folks that I know who have walked out of addiction, walked out of gang issues, I send them to talk to them. Because they know. They understand they minister from the depths of their painful situation. They minister God's peace in a way that I can't. Why does every church feel different and every church feel unique? And I go into one church, I don't feel the same thing that maybe I feel in another church. Why? Everybody's story is different. Everybody's experience is different. Everybody's testimony is different. The flavor of every church is different because some of these churches are built around the places of pain and the stories this church didn't come to be on its own. You're not here. This church was not designed randomly. We designed this church for people who do not know God, have never had a relationship with God, and have never entered into a church before. Why? We have a heart and passion. We've been there. That's our story. And so God will use that story to minister to us. We have people, how many of you, you're the first person in your family that has been a Christian? I'm talking about a Protestant Christian. You're the first person in your family. Come on now. You're here not by accident. You were drawn here by the Holy Spirit because of the story and the testimony that exists in this house that is capable to minister comfort to you as you walk through this difficult season. 
You see that? You had like 50% of the church raise their hand up. 50% of our church has never been Christian or you're the first Christian in your family. That's a beautiful thing. That is not the case in every congregation. And we don't down that in any other congregation. That's great for them. That fits their culture as long as they're faithful to the word of God. But I'm just telling you here in this house, this is our story and we minister to people from our story. Amen? I want you to pray with me. Have unfair circumstances perhaps kept you from trusting God? I want to tell you that if that's the case, you are missing out on the only one who can truly set you free. And so I want to pray for you. I want to minister to you. But before we enter into that space, I want our worship team to minister in song because I want this message to flow deep down into your heart. I want this to resonate in your spirit. God will use those life's not fair moments to passionately minister to other people who need your love, who need your passion. And I'm trusting that God will activate that ministry, that testimony in you so that you can lead from that place and minister from that place and comfort others with that same comfort that you've received from the Father. Let's worship the King.